The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Fisgianados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, fight fans. It is Wednesday, August 14th, and this is the Fisgianados podcast on the Leave It in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. We are also brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. Also, shout out here to Boxing Social in the UK. My guy Riku over there, or at Lead Right is, is his handle on Twitter, wrote a great piece on the business of boxing. Uh, talked to a couple guys here. Steven Espinoza, who uh, obviously is head of Showtime Sports. Talked to myself. Talked to John Nash. Great piece. Check it out there. I will try to do a shorter episode. I find these, these things are hard this week. I'm going to look at Top Rank and what they've done so far in 2019, I will dip back into a few significant things that we saw towards the end of 2018, uh, just for context. And and that's going to be the episode this week. There's a lot of other stuff that's happened uh, in the sport. I'll briefly touch on that. I don't think I would, you know, in the last two weeks, I, I said on my last show, I, the new father, I now have a two-week-old kid, uh, and and would have not been able to do any kind of deep research on this kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe in a future episode in in, in one or two episodes, I can, I can delve into some of this other stuff, but I think a lot of it is just, it's no one has real insight into it. And and let's get into it. I'll, I'll get into the review section first and then talk about briefly some of the stuff that's happening in the sport. Um, and then dive into my thoughts on the top rank, uh, 2019 so far. All right, on Saturday, August 3rd, on ESPN Plus from Belfast, Michael Conlon wins by KO9 against late replacement Diego Alberto Ruiz. The only really significant thing I'll say about this, and, and it wasn't a dominant performance, it was a ho-hum performance until the knockout for me. At one point, Conlon was a pretty big player for top rank and was expected to be in some big fights. I think he's like 27 years old, so let's see those big fights uh, because this isn't must-see TV. I do under look. He was a big favorite in this. It was a late replacement, and and I do understand. Even though he's older, he's still making the adjustments to the pro ranks. But you got to move him along faster. It's not like he's in a big weight class either. In terms, of, you know, most of the people in his weight class peak in this 25 to 29 age range. So he's in that, he's in that place where he should be peaking now. It's not like he's 22. You know, if he was a heavyweight, it'd be a little bit different. Uh, later that day, and what turned out to be a pretty great fight card for PBC on Fox, uh, featuring the main event where Adam Kalnowski wins by unanimous decision against Chris Ariola, like broke some CompuBox records in terms of total punches. Also in the car, Jean Pascal beats Marcus Brown by a technical decision. Wally Almatoso wins by KO3 against Curtis Stevens. The show does an average of just over 1.3 million viewers, peaking at just below 1.8 million viewers, which for August is actually not terrible at all. Like, it's it's kind of decent. Like, the good news is it was a strong night of fights, and it was at a bad time of the year with virtually no promotion behind it, certainly not a lead-in. Uh, it did okay compared to what else was on TV. I mean, the bad news is it lost in total numbers to a rerun on NBC called Bring the Funny. Uh, I hate it when boxing loses to reruns. That is that is the official moment when, if you're a programmer, you say, let's just put on reruns. But 
it ended up doing better in the demos that mattered uh, compared to the NBC show. It beat some original programming on CBS. Really nice to see there. The only thing it lost too big was the nightly news on both NBC and ABC. You know, I would love to see Fox get in the 1.6, 1.7 million range for this type of show at this type of time of the year. I'd love to see them regularly average 2 million viewers or more for their shows. And they almost did that once. I mean, they basically hit that once this year. But we haven't hit that part of the year yet that really matters in terms of the programming for how this can get promoted. Um, one word of question, I don't know how Fox views those pay-per-view prelim cards in terms of how they count in their Fox, you know, the, the Fox PBC deal or not. But I think if I, you know, if they do count, then we've already seen nine shows this year. Uh, and it sounds like the Herb Williams rematch will be in December. So that's 10. I think that's what the contract calls for. Uh, I don't think they'll count. So hopefully we'll see three more and hopefully those three will get very solid promotion from college football, WWE, Thursday night, you know, NFL. And I think if that's the case, we're going to see some much bigger ratings than this. All right. In, ter in, 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 in terms of what this means for all the fighters involved, you know, Jean Pascal, I, I, I think this says a lot more about Marcus Brown than Jean Pascal. But great win for him. I hope he gets another big fight where he gets paid. But I worry tremendously about whether he is a shot. You know, he's clearly not a shot fighter. I mean, I don't know whether this one, whether he just landed one lucky punch and followed up with a couple other knockdowns. Uh, you you worry about that with him. You know, the main event, I you would think that, I mean, I'm not going to judge... Kanaski's punching power off of Ariola's chin because Ariola has an amazing chin. Uh, and, and Ariola actually, you know, he landed a lot of punches. Like, I actually think the scores might have been a little bit closer than, than what they announced, but I thought Kanaski clearly won. You know, the, the big question with Kanaski is as he steps up to the elite level of heavyweights, if he gets involved in those fights, can he use his aggressive style and actually get a knock, you know, knockdown or knockout against an opponent with not quite the same chin as as Ariolas? Because this strategy of how he gets hit, I just don't think that'll work against the guys who you know hit harder than Ariola. Those are my big takeaways. I mean, obviously the Curtis Stevens uh, Omatoso fight, you know, good for Omatoso. Curtis Stevens, I hope, you know, it sounds like this is, you know, we're, we're looking at the end of, of a career and, and uh, if he does get another big payday, then that's great. But it's not a great sign when you get knocked out like that, especially when you come down and wait. All right, moving on, Saturday, August 10th from Philadelphia on ESPN Plus, we had Carl Frampton falling out of the fight at the last second due to a freak accident. And we see Jason Sosa winning the main event by KO7 over Haskell Rhodes. Undercard had Adan uh, Gonzalez beating Robesi Ro, uh, Ramirez by split decision. Ramirez is the Cuban two-time Olympic gold medalist. This was an upset. For me, it's never an upset of the year when a guy gets beaten his pro debut, even if he is a two-time Olympic gold medalist. Um, it's also not the end of his career either. This is sort of just like wake me up when he's won three or four in a row and he's starting to look good again. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this card just because it wasn't that great. Edgar Berlanga wins by KO1 in the opening undercard. You know, again, it this felt a lot more like Friday Night Fights. I know there was a main event that fell out, but even that wasn't going to be super competitive. And, you know, I mean, look, case in point, like Joe Tessitore is doing his best out there and sort of creating drama over whether we're going to see a first-round KO or not from Berlanga in that one. I mean, I'm not sure ESPN planned to have that fight on sort of the main broadcast. They kind of had you know, three fights in the main broadcast, that being one of them. But when you're at that level, it, it feels more like Friday Night Fights, and I'm sure that's not what they want this kind of thing to feel like. Um, again, we're in the dregs of August. There was an injury. There was a more significant streaming fight card on zone. It was from Grand Prairie, Texas. We saw Virgil Ortiz Jr. win by KO6 over Antonio Orozco. 
Ortiz is a big-time boxing prospect. This was his second win in a row where you can call it like a, you know, quote-unquote, like, you have my attention sort of win. Like, something above an eyebrow raise, but, you know, again, we saw some hyperbole on social media here, same as we did with, with Ramirez losing. It's, I think a lot of people have correctly noted that Jose Ramirez couldn't get Orozco out of there. Uh, and, and that was a great TV fight, but it was very one-sided. And, and, you know, I actually think if you compare the two performances, Orozco probably had more good moments against Ortiz than he did against Ramirez. I mean, obviously, uh, Ramirez is significantly further along in his career than Ortiz. All I'm trying to say here, my larger point with Ortiz, he is a top prospect. This is now two fights in a row where he's been in against really good competition. I think we can call it significant competition and he's looked great, but he is in a stacked weight class and there, we need to see stuff. uh, He's going to have to fight guys several levels above late career Herrera and Antonio Orozco. And I think one of the things it's very clear with Ortiz, he has, world-class power like he has elite power but he still has a lot to work on you know sort of with the actual boxing elements of his game and I think that world-class power has has covered up some of that stuff he's at a great gym to do it he's still very young he's got you know he but he has with that power and if he can improve in the areas that he needs to you have a an incredible prospect on your hands so so Let's see him continue to advance, but I don't need to see him in for a world title just yet. Um, you know, so I guess I don't know whether that's a little bit of slow your roll, but maybe that's just like, hey, there's a lot of hyperbole out there. This guy looks great, but let's see him continue to develop. And I think there's plenty of opportunities to do that uh, before we really see him in with like a top five or a top 10 guy. All right, um, getting to some of the news before we get into the deep dive, there's like all kinds of stuff going on. There's the Ruiz-AJ rematch, maybe going to Saudi Arabia, Ruiz saying no. There's sort of like, basically everyone is, a, you know, with with whatever's going on with Canelo right now, everyone is basically, I don't know whether they're sensing weakness or they're sensing they're not part of the process, but they're just trying to assert their dominance in whatever negotiation they're in. You know, some of this is zone. Some of this is just the way that contracts work for a rematch. Some of this is matchroom. Some of this is Canelo. Some of this is Golden Boy. It's, it, there's just so much to unpack. Um, you know, it, even the smaller stuff, it's like, I don't even know whether it's smaller, but if Canelo is going to wait until August 24th to make a decision on who he fights, then August 24th, like could not possibly have bigger stakes for both Sergey Kovalev as a fighter in main events as a promotional company. Like we're talking Kovalev's, I'm sure it's his biggest payday of his career, like a huge lifeline for main events. Now maybe Markowski met with Golden Boy and straightened out some of the things. So maybe there's other approved opponents, but like is Golden Boy going to put these ridiculous deal terms and ridiculous time limits on, you know, all their offers and, and how it, are they really able to make an offer or does it have to go through to the zone uh, executives? There's just so many other parts to this. Um, and, and, and I think, I think it will straighten itself out. I think uh, what we're, what we're seeing here is, you know, golden boy probably needs to improve their relationship with Canelo. I think that's possible. I think DAZN is is getting a little bit of a lesson in leverage and how leverage works at the very highest echelon of boxing. And to be fair to them, uh, their experience, previous experience is is probably with people who aren't as mercurial as Canelo is as a fighter. So I think those are really interesting. The other thing that's really interesting, I think people in boxing have been totally sleeping on this Viacom-CBS merger. It could have really significant implications for the future of Showtime sports. Um, I did something on Showtime not too long ago. And by the way, I don't think it's necessarily all bad. If I am Viacom, I definitely want to still 
broadcast boxing as, as a, you want that in your portfolio. The questions for me are, at what level are you going to see it? I think there's a lot of interesting ways to compare what's happening with Warner Media right now in terms of the way AT&T views Warner Media and HBO Max and, and how Viacom is going to distribute their content, especially from an OTT perspective. Viacom, you know, CBS Sports has a much different take on sports than, uh, you know, Turner, which would be Time Warner's other sports property. But the way boxing is positioned is, you know, right now for Showtime, it is premium content in terms of how it's positioned within that organization. And I think uh, there's going to be, and maybe not this year or next year, there, there will be at some point, someone will have to take a look at how they're going to, to potentially reposition that. I still think Boxing it will end up being an important part of that, but that's all. That's not for this episode. These are all just future th- yeah, things to talk about in the future. Things I've noticed, uh, you know, I've noticed recently, and and get me excited. Let's move on, though. Um, I'm I'm gonna waddle through this because I've, you know, I am sleeping. I am sleeping. It's you know, two weeks in with with, with a kid. You know, I, I am sleeping, but. This is something I've wanted to talk about for a while. I actually think it's it's going to end up being, you know, maybe there will be some some exciting parts, but it's going to be less exciting just for a couple different reasons. But it's something I've wanted to do overall. I kind of haven't, other than that February episode I did, I haven't really taken a look at what Top Rank is doing. And I actually think on individual shows, we haven't seen a ton of interesting stuff since then, but in the aggregate, it's worth looking at. And that's basically what we're going to be talking about here. Um, So let's start just by taking a quick look at the run numbers of viewership in 2019. And I I think that's an important distinction. I'll get to that a little bit later. So the Valdez Tomasone fight did 880K average viewership. Ramirez Zapata did 655K. Brant Bisinguroff did 704K. Pulev Dino did 469k, Vazdik Ngubu did 655k, Beter Biev Hot Rod did 480k, Burchelt Vargas 2 did 740k, Ido Herring did 556k, Valdez Sanchez did 799k, Comey Beltran did 490k, you know, Stevenson Guevara did 530k. These are just the shows that happened on regular ESPN in 2019. And I think when you look at those numbers, there's a few obvious takeaways. I mean, there's clearly two levels of fights or two levels of viewership, let's call it, that have happened on ESPN so far in 2019. And for argument's sake, like, let's just use the dividing line at about 600,000 viewers because that's, at least in fairly recency, it might be 2017 or 28, uh, 2016 or 2017, I think it's 2017, that was around the average ESPN viewership. Um but I also want to emphasize here, like that, even that is a real flawed way to look at things. Like that's just basically me picking an arbitrary number. That I, I mean, I will say probably close to the dividing line of like where you want to be and where you don't want to be. Um, and, and and there's so many other factors, yada yada yada. But let, let's just get into it. So when you're looking at what does good numbers, like okay, Oscar Valdez. He's had two fights on TV, really good overall numbers, like raw numbers. Like he brought in good demos, highly ranked show for the day in terms of cable rankings. Burchell Perkins 2, Brant, Sing- uh, Brant Bisinguroff did well. As, uh, they, you know, they did this as well. You know, Burchell Vargas 2 even did it with really strong competition coming from other boxing. Like Ramirez Zapata did okay, not great. It was on a Sunday night. And I think like as we get into this, you start to see a lot of these asterisks coming. And, and we'll talk about like, Fazdik Ngubu did okay. It had the support of the UFC, you know, that night, which came on before. But remember, like, Valdez Sanchez did as well. But Fazdik Ngubu was up against March Madness. Like, when you consider it did that number against the Sweet 16 uh, from the NCAA tournament, like, you're like, wow, that looks pretty good. That looks even better. Like, what about some of these other cards that, like, some of them, I mean, basically, you know, Pula Dino, you basically say that bombed. That was up against the opening weekend of March Madness and had NCAA wrestling championships as a lead-in instead of UFC. And I think, you know, in terms of 
I think you can call, I mean, I would call wrestling a combat sport, but I think it's pretty clear that there's a different audience for wrestling than there is for boxing. And the audience for UFC for boxing, is they are much closer in terms of how you're going to profile audiences. Um, you know, also no one in, in America had basically heard of Pulev, even though he is a good heavyweight. Beater BF Hot Rod, you know, that basically happened at the same time as the Canelo fight, like not even the same night, like literally the same time, basically. So from that perspective, you're like, wow, like 480K is not a great number at all, but you're like kind of surprised it even did that well, considering that. Stevenson Guevara, you know, again, asterisk, 530K is not a great number. And I talked about this a couple of shows ago. Still the 20th rated cable show of the night, ESPN's second highest rated show of the day. So it's like, how do you, is that a total disaster? No, it's not a total disaster, even though 530,000 viewers is not a big number. Comey Beltran was on a Friday night instead of a Saturday night. Still did a really bad number. Like So when you're looking at the individual shows, there's legit excuses, but in the aggregate, you're starting to see certain patterns here. And, and, and I think what we're seeing is, okay, Top Rank has like two categories of fight cards, like one that do really well to the point where they're getting like very strong raw numbers. The the ratings are good. That They're among the top cable shows of the night. They're getting strong demos, uh, 18 to 49, 18 to 34. They're doing well in those. Um, and then you have this other category where they're either just sort of left dangling. They're, they're not doing that well. They definitely don't inspire a ton of confidence. Um, and I think when you're looking at it from the positive side, like, so to top rank and ESPN's credit, like we've seen some experimentation here. And I think that's led to some of, of, of what we're seeing. Like, so most of the time, uh, when you do this kind of experimentation, you know, some stuff works, some stuff doesn't. If you look at the stuff that in, in this deal with, with top rank that ESPN has done in the past in terms of the scheduling, some of this worked really well. I mean, remember even in the fall, they did the one-off fight on a Friday night, but that was with right after the NBA, and that did really, really well in terms of numbers. Um, and I mean, it was just one fight. It came on right after the NBA postgame show. And, you know, considering what time of the night that was on the East Coast, retained a ton of viewership, gave SportsCenter a really good lead-in still, and, and, and did good numbers. Like, that is a success. Some of the stuff that we're seeing here, you know, so you compare it, okay, well, what's the Friday night show this year? Was Comey Beltran. Well, it didn't do a strong lead-in. I think, the, you know, the lead-in was like a 30 for 30 or something like that, and it didn't do well at all. And so it's kind of like, okay, well, when you experiment with those two things, you would naturally think the one coming on after NBA on Friday night would do well. You know, Comey Beltran also isn't a strong enough pure fight where it's going to draw its own audience with no lead-in. So, you know, looking at some of the other experimentation, you know, the February combo fight where they did with ESPN and ESPN Plus, Valdez Tomasoni being the ESPN portion, then Kovalev Alvarez rematch, and Tiafimo Magdaleno being on ESPN Plus. I mean, that did a really strong number on terrestrial TV on ESPN, and you would think it was just sort of a, a great overall way to do an event and promote ESPN Plus, uh, I mean, the only note to that is how late the fights actually started. Uh, and, and I don't know what numbers that specifically did for ESPN plus, but you would think that's a great way to get people, especially boxing fans to subscribe for it. And they did, they promoted both aspects of the show. It was a great show. I mean, obviously, except for the part that it started at midnight and, <laughs> and we'll come back to ESPN plus in a minute here. So let's, let's, let's put a pin in that. Let's just talk about the ESPN stuff right now. The way ESPN has combined the UFC and top-ranked boxing cards so they sort of air back-to-back, I think that's had really strong results so far. I mean, you know, in fact, had they done that for Comey Beltran, like, which there was a fight, the reason that was on, or I don't know that that's the specific reason, that was on a Friday night. There was a strong UFC card with a with a main event, a, you know, big time main event heavyweight uh, UFC fight on the, on Saturday night. Uh, it was not a pay per view though. Had they been able to follow up Comey Beltran after that UFC card, probably would have seen much stronger numbers there. Um, but anyways, going back to what they've done here, you know, that's 
you've seen it so far, I think twice this year, where is the second Valdez fight, it worked really well. The Vazdek fight, I said, you know, considering it, they both went up against the Sweet 16, it works well. And, and just for people who aren't UFC fans who are listening to this, what they do is the UFC, the way UFC works is it comes on at 8 p.m. Eastern, the prelims. And the UFC, you know, has much stronger undercard fights for pay-per-view events than boxing typically does. Uh, up and down the card. I mean, you know, boxing, even when they have one good undercard fight, I mean, it's, it, it's not like what the UFC does. The UFC has pretty strong, uh, you know, it's five cards for a pay-per-view, and then usually what they do is do four fights um, as part of the prelim card. So they'll air the prelims on ESPN from 8 to 10, and then at 10 o'clock, you have to go and, and purchase the pay-per-view if you want to keep watching UFC. And then at 10 o'clock on regular ESPN, they'll just put on top-ranked boxing. It works really well for a couple reasons. Number one, just scheduling-wise, you know at 10 o'clock you have to stop. You know, basically at that point, UFC has to stop uh, showing fights. So it's not this isn't a baseball game where it'll run long ever. Like there's a cutoff point right at 10 o'clock Eastern, and you can start the boxing. You get a great demo as your lead-in, and you provide an alternative for people who don't want to go purchase the pay-per-view. You know at this point, exclusively through ESPN+. Plus. So basically, ESPN, you would think they're doing an excellent job of either directing people to buy the pay-per-view, which they're totally making money on because the only way you can buy it is through ESPN+, Plus, or they're keeping the viewership on ESPN. I mean, I think it's a great strategy. It works well for boxing. I mean, I think you can put on even not the greatest level of fights afterwards and I think most people just stick around I mean it's just a different combat sport and I, and, and I think there is some good crossover there it's happened it, you know I think both top rank and ESPN should be pleased with that I think when you get to the big questions and sort of the elephant in the room that we're talking about in 2019 is where is all because we've been talking about two levels of fights where's that third level of fight like where's that top rank premium product on regular ESPN. We have yet to see that in 2019. And going back to the fall of 2018, we saw a few monster ratings. Like usually it's like, you know, I've talked about this ad, ad nauseum before, but it's Terrence Crawford after the Alabama football game does great. Lomachenko after the Heisman Trophy show, I think he's done that twice now, does great. Like we've been through now, we're through seven months. We're basically you know, almost through eight months, and in terms of the really big guns from top rank, we just haven't seen them on regular ESPN. And if you're looking at that elite level, at least in terms of fighters, it's basically all heading to ESPN+. Plus. So Kovalev, rematch, ESPN+. Plus. Tiafimo is basically really only been on ESPN Plus or he's on the, the pay-per-view undercard. Lomachenko fought on ESPN Plus in April. He, and, you know, he's coming in in August. Crawford on pay-per-view. Tyson Fury on ESPN Plus in June, coming again in September. Lopez again, Plus in July. Kovalev, you know, Kovalev, after fighting on Plus in February, fighting on Plus in August. Some of these, you understand, like Kovalev and Lomachenko both in, on ESPN Plus in August they're fighting against UK opponents in foreign countries. Kovalev's fighting in Russia. Lomachenko's fighting in the UK. Sort of at weird times of the day. And so maybe these are fights for more of those core fight fans. Uh, you know, but the other fights, I mean, the other fights were in the, in the United States. And, and why weren't they on just regular ESPN as opposed to, you know, I, and I get it individually, I get it. Certainly from the Kovalev standpoint, not quite sure why the, the Lomachenko-Krola fight, uh, other than Krola is just wasn't that great of an opponent, uh, why that wasn't on regular ESPN. And if you're only looking at 2019 so far, like you've got to ask what the priority really is for ESPN, because it feels like what they really care about is just maintaining a solid but not spectacular product on regular ESPN, and that they want to send the premium fighters or the premium fights to ESPN Plus to develop that platform. And I think you, you know, you have to point out like 
basically the you know why did top rank go over to ESPN in the first place it was basically to get that bigger platform you know so there is a legit argument to say here that that is totally antith- you know antithetical to why top rank supposedly went over to ESPN in the first place now i think top rank to their credit would dispute that argument for a couple reasons most notably and most significantly that Top Rank doesn't look at it in random six or seven month increments like what happened in the start of 2019. I mean, remember, Top Rank's overall deal with ESPN was probably made in July or August. So they're probably sending all of these fights over to ESPN Plus after they've had the benefit of knowing that if you're looking at this thing in terms of a total year, they probably got great ratings on the fall in several occasions. And now they had to, you know, if the corporate directive came from Disney that we want to boost ESPN Plus subs in 2019, well, then we, you know, in terms of top ranks year, they already did well in the fall of 2018. They got a great head start on regular ESPN. Now let's, you're, if you're telling us you want the premium product to go to ESPN Plus, then great. And let's let's try to boost those subs. Even if you look at it that way, I would say, you know, the kind, and I think that's a totally legit argument. The counter to that is it still puts a lot of pressure on you to ensure that you get those great ratings every fall by taking advantage of the opportunities with scheduling in conjunction with ESPN's college football, their NBA. Because basically what you're saying is now where you can really hit home runs is using ESPN's college football, Heisman Trophy, that that kind of stuff, and NBA programming to your advantage. And then now what we've seen in 2019 is you can also do it with the, with the UFC. So you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself in terms of that to, to do that. And then, but let's go back to ESPN Plus. Like, so we don't have a ton of information there, and, and, and that's pretty significant. And I think in terms of building out subs on the platform, like we've seen two distinctly different things from top rank here because you're now you're start, if you're just isolating ESPN Plus, you're starting to look at like what kind of programming goes there. Well, you know, first, which I think to hardcore fans, I think is working pretty well, is they're bringing a lot of, of very good foreign fights from around the world onto ESPN Plus Live, and then, you know, having them there if you want to watch them later, like that kind of thing, like later in the day, like not having spoiler content up right away next to the actual fights. Like, I think they've delivered some great fights from the UK, Japan, a couple from Australia even, but like, you know, so far what we've gotten on ESPN Plus is like Warrington Galahad, Dubois Gorman, Joyce Jennings, Brant Murata, Shiro Takoming, you know, Yard Reeves. We're, we're going to see, you know, we saw Dubois against Lardy and Kajanu. I mean, for people like me, just getting a quality broadcast link and a professional setup, I don't know if that's worth five bucks a month for those fights. Pretty close, though, because like otherwise, a few years ago, you'd sort of be looking all over the world for like, some kind of illegal posting of YouTube or something like that, you know, and there were great fights in 2018 too. Like the, you know, the Warrington Frampton fight was on in 2018. I mean, if you combine just that part with the regular stuff from ESPN plus, there's no question. It's definitely worth five bucks a month, but even that alone is, is, is pretty good. I mean, and Truly hardcore fans might be like, yeah, but like previously I didn't need to pay for that. Well, my response would be that's, it's intellectual property and you should be paying for it. And this is a pretty reasonable price the way they they put everything together. And, you know, again, to me, it's worth it, but let's move on to the sort of second tier offering that top rank puts there, which actually has several mini tiers of, of it, you know, in its own, like basically the one I'd worry about if I was top rank is, is when their stars you know, are in a big fight involving big salaries, but the fight isn't quite big enough for pay-per-view, like, that fight always seems to end up on ESPN+. Plus. Like, Lomachenko, Krola, Fury, Schwartz. Now, Fury, Wallen in September, and Fury, Wallen, that's not the crate, like, when you look at the gambling odds for that, it's like 20 to 1, or 25 to 1, which, compared to Schwartz, I mean, Schwartz is like 50 to 1, like, Schwartz was just a total joke. But, you know, Fury, Wallen, okay, maybe, like, I don't think... Ottawan has a pathway to victory at all, but like you're not seeing like he's actually a reasonably quality fighter, unlike Schwartz. Basically, uh, he probably needed you know it's still a complete mismatch. I don't know why it's Mexican Independence Day weekend in 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 Las Vegas. 
you know, Lomachenko, Krola. Okay, so Krola was a mandatory or something like that. Like, these, to make the argument that these kind of fights are driving subs, like, they're not. I mean, these are mismatches. If you're if you're trying to build pay-per-view fights for Lomachenko and Fury, why are we seeing them fight on a streaming service that clearly has a much overall, uh, a much smaller overall audience base? Like, and these aren't original criticisms for me. Like, these are common criticisms from people around the industry. And I want to be clear, like, I'm bullish on ESPN Plus one day relatively soon, actually being able to provide virtually the same TV audience for a show as ESPN. Like, a couple of years from now, I think that's totally realistic. I mean, even, like, let's just say there's 2.5 million subscribers right now for ESPN Plus, which I think is where most experts would put it. Like, in terms of who's subscribing right now among those 2.5 million, like, they're some of the likeliest 2.5 million people in the United States to tune into a boxing match, period. So, I mean... If a show's going to do 800,000 viewers on regular ESPN, I think there's a really strong chance that as much as 30 to 50% of that 800,000K viewership is actually an ESPN Plus subscriber. I mean, like, I'm sure they can get to the point where maybe it's even more. Like, those are stats that nobody has access to, like, unless you work at ESPN Plus. But I think as ESPN Plus continues to grow, I think the percentage of people, like, I, I think you'll see those viewership numbers of, how many people watch the fight on regular ESPN versus how many watch it on ESPN Plus? I, I think you'll see those numbers get closer together. But going back to the criticisms, though, I mean, like sometimes, like this stuff, it just doesn't line up perfectly. And like, is ESPN Plus the better platform for the event? I don't know. I mean, if Lomachenko was getting paid three or four million to fight Anthony Krola. On one hand, I can kind of understand how you might want to put that on ESPN Plus if you don't get a great date and you don't get some primetime scheduling. I mean, that one was on a Friday night, but it was in LA. Like, it takes the pressure off a little bit, but like, I think that, I mean, properly promoted on ESPN, that one probably would have done a, a pretty great rating on regular ESPN. I don't see how Anthony, you know, I don't think there's anybody out there who's a big boxing fan who wasn't already subscribing to ESPN Plus who said, oh, because I'm going to get to see Lomachenko versus Anthony Krola, now's the time to subscribe to ESPN Plus. Like, Fury Schwartz, I don't understand that one at all. I mean, it basically, maybe that's just Tyson Fury's signing bonus and and or something like that. Like, Fury apparently got paid like 12 or 13 million bucks for the fight. Like, that, those economics are crazy to me. Like, I don't understand how that works. Like, I think Wilder Fury will still be a, a, a profitable venture. You know, I think, like, you can pull it off that that thing I've talked about a lot on this podcast where it's a profit center for both Fox and ESPN. It generates a ton of content across all, you know, all their platforms in the buildup. They can kind of promote it and then they'll make money on being the distribution entities for it. And, and I think... All the fighters involved will make a ton of money. I think you know. I just think that's how you do a pay per view, big time boxing event in this day and age. And I think everyone can benefit from it. But I don't see how anyone would subscribe to ESPN Plus to see Tyson Fury fight someone where he's a fifty to one favorite. You know, I don't see how that's a pay per view fight. I don't see how that's an ESPN Plus fight. I barely see how that's an. You know, the fight was over in two rounds. I don't know how you would even expect that to do well on regular ESPN. So. Again, it goes back to maybe that's just a signing bonus. Like, same thing as Triple G with Steve Rolls. You get paid a big amount of money to fight someone who you know you're just going to steamroll over. The question comes back to, like, with ESPN Plus, does it have a clear pathway to using boxing as a way to build and retain subs? And, and having a few fights a year where you pay each guy a couple million bucks as a purse make a really big fight that isn't quite pay-per-view level, but it's probably one level up from what you're doing on regular ESPN or what you're seeing on Showtime or Fox or DAZN right now, like, that makes sense. DAZN is kind of doing that. They just did it with, with Ramirez Hooker, where that, you know, that fight clearly with what they're getting paid would have had to be on pay-per-view in the regular TV landscape of where we work. Created, you know, I'm sure all the subscribers were very happy that they saw that fight on DAZN. Like, when can ESPN Plus get that kind of fight? And maybe it's with one of these guys who's a bigger name, but it's much closer. I mean, look, maybe maybe Lomachenko-Luke Lomachenko, Campbell is actually, you know, 
could be something like that, maybe, but you know, but maybe not. Lomachenko just might steamroll over him. But Luke Campbell's pretty good. I mean, that's not at a weird time in the UK. So may, maybe they're getting, you know, maybe they're getting there this year. But I think compared to what we saw last year in 2018, it, like we just haven't seen the, those kind of matchups. You know, we saw Pacquiao Matisse and, and Crawford Horn. And, you know, I don't think we've seen stuff like that this year on ESPN Plus. Uh, you know, another way to think about it, and, I'm, and this is just, I'm pontificating at this point, all right, hey, ESPN's, Disney says, we want to be in the heavyweight business just for content, so you're doing these Fury opponents and they're ridiculous underdogs, but Fury is his own marketing machine. I mean, one one of the things you can say about this is just by Fury fighting, he's going to be on all the ESPN talk shows and, and daily shows and the buildup, like you're going to see him on all day long on that kind of stuff. And that like just sort of getting him through the PR machine and the car wash. I think you can say that and have it work once. I'm not sure that's the way you want to, I'm not sure you want to do that like two or three times, but you know, once I think that's, that'll work twice is starting to not look great. If it's any more than twice, we're just in completely ridiculous uh, territory. So another thing where, and I think right now, and, and, and this is, I want to move into sort of shoulder programming for both ESPN and ESPN plus. Um, I think you can be pretty critical of this. I do want to say though, and I've been actually thinking about doing an episode just on shoulder programming in general. I want to be clear that this is this is something across the board. Like you can be incredibly critical of shoulder programming the way every place is doing it right now. But let's just look at ESPN and ESPN Plus uh, for you know with the caveat that this is an issue for the entire sport, basically. So even just comparing like and let's compare ESPN and Fox just because they're basically networks doing this. Like they're taking polar opposite approaches to this, and like neither is working that well, in my opinion. Like you know ESPN is basically starting like year three of their deal with top rank. And we're only six months or seven months into their first studio show. It is with Max Kellerman who, you know, it to, to top rank and ESPN's credit, like Max Kellerman at this point in his career does not need to be doing uh, like shoulder programming, like a half hour once a week shoulder programming for boxing type of show. You know, obviously he's really passionate about it. He does it. Uh, it doesn't get great ratings. It gets stuck in a bad time slot. It's very traditional in its approach. I still DVR it. I enjoy it. It's not like a terrible content. I don't want to say that the content is terrible. It certainly isn't pushing the envelope though. So then you see this in contrast to like the Andre Ward show on ESPN Plus, which is basically detail for boxing. I thought it's an incredibly creative attempt at new shoulder programming. I love it. Like how have we only seen two episodes of it? I'd love to see more. I, w- I would watch that once a week, basically. You know, I think there's only been two episodes of it, but barely, even when it's come out, it barely gets any promotion at all. And and this is, you know, in terms of shoulder programming in general, I'll sort of just give away my thesis on this. Like, there has not been any good new shoulder programming to come out in the sport of boxing in at least a decade, basically. Uh, so some of that isn't the fault of the people who work in the industry. I think, I think just now the frustration with it now is we're now seeing opportunities to do it. And we're just, we're not seeing anyone really push, push the envelope or take advantage of these opportunities. This is an instance where it is, you know, we are seeing some great stuff and we're just not seeing enough of it. Um, you know, like why can ESP, I guess it comes down to this. And here's really my frustration with this. It's like, why can ESPN Plus pay so much for a Tyson Fury fight and they can't afford more of that type of stuff or take an, do another show like that? Like, just take a chance. Like, and I don't know how they divide up their budgets. I don't know if Tyson Fury was sort of quote unquote found money for, for ESPN Plus that just came down from Disney. So it, 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 but that to me is like just really frustrating, basically. Like, if you're like, I'll trade Fury versus Schwartz for like 10 more episodes of detail, I'll make that trade. Like I would love, you know, like I would love to see more of that very clearly. Definitely want to see more of that. So 
you know, and, and even to just go back to the Fox comparison, like Fox has its own shoulder issues with shoulder programming, like to their credit, they're making a ton of it. Like they're not actually lacking for making it, you know, I would actually say they're doing way too much of it. They're probably doing it for undeserving fights and they're probably just sort of flooding the market with it. And, you know, ESPN is clearly not doing that. You know, ESPN, they like, this is another thing where they've done some experimentation. It just comes back to like, you know, they did the whole show on, I think it was on a Friday night uh, before Tyson Fury actually fought Tom Schwartz where they just, you know, they did like a sit down dinner type thing. And that wasn't, you know, uh, they talked about the heavyweight division. They did a whole like two hour segment of programming devoted to Tyson Fury. That stuff. I mean, I appreciate the the commitment from that standpoint. Um, it wasn't. I watched all that stuff. It didn't like blow me away. It wasn't bad content at all. You know, and and I think to ESPN's credit, like nothing they're putting out is really bad. Like that's I think you know in terms of shoulder programming, it's just nothing is. It's also. While it's not bad, you would expect, especially on ESPN Plus, to really be able to try new and different stuff. And if you're going to experiment, I'd love to see other stuff besides people sitting around a table or people sitting around a studio and attempting to 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 talk about boxing. Okay, but enough of that. To get to some of the things that I find really impressive about what we're seeing in 2019 from ESPN and Top Rank, I think it's really like two distinct things to me. Like first of all. And this goes back to some of what I talked about with the the scheduling stuff in 2018 in the fall that I've like, I think they're starting to figure out what actually works for how they manage the schedule. So boxing has moments where it truly benefits from being on the ESPN platform. You know, I've talked about this with UFC, college football, NBA, no one is doing this and like, no, like no one's doing it like ESPN in terms of this. Like, certainly not DAZN. DAZN and Showtime aren't even in the conversation, basically, because they literally don't have anything else to schedule it around in terms of sports. They're on a different model. Fox is the one you compare to this. But, like, Fox basically just throws their Saturday night boxing on regular Fox at 8 p.m. with no lead-in at all. I mean, they use their other sports to promote their shows and they're very serious about that, but they're just not doing, they're not using their schedule to their advantage. And look to, to, you know, to Fox's like to, to counter that to Fox, like, well, Fox is, is not a sports network yet, at least, you know, like it seems like they're trying to head there. Um, FS1 is FS1 definitely doesn't really help out boxing all that much, but FS1 doesn't have the same properties that, ESPN has that automatically translate to, to, you know, to audiences for both boxing and some other sport. The second thing I like about, or I think it's just really impressive about what Top Rank and ESPN are doing is just, and to be fair on this, I feel the same way with BBC on this. I haven't uh, talked about it as much because I haven't specifically reviewed like Fox as a PBC sort of platform yet. I've talked about PBC in the whole, I've talked about Showtime. I mean, Top Rank is a company that's basically putting on 15 shows on regular ESPN, 15 shows on ESPN Plus, and basically the equivalent of like 24 foreign shows. Like like there's fights in Kazakhstan and Japan and, and the UK all the time. And sometimes it's just, they're just basically licensing out, whether it's the MT, MTK Global stuff or or some of the Frank Warren uh, UK pay-per-view shows. But the sheer quantity and scale of what they're doing with a company for years that was designed to put on a fraction of that is just incredibly impressive to me. Like, that puts a lot of pressure on your matchmakers, your operational people to really step up, and, and you've seen that for Top Rank. And, I've, I mean, to be clear, like, I feel kind of the same way for PBC on this, you just hear a lot less of those. Uh, you, you see a lot less of the details for it because I think Al Heyman just still has such a huge imprint on how at least the really big fights get made. Um, but I, th- that to me is, is is just something that you can't possibly leave out of this discussion of like just how the sheer quantity of boxing you're seeing. So when you're analyzing like what's happening specifically in 2019, okay. What has worked? Like, 
Love the February thing with the ESPN and ESPN Plus thing. I know some people didn't love that. I think with a deep enough card, you can do more of stuff like this. Uh, you can maybe ideally start the fights a little bit earlier. Um, I did a deep dive on this. If you want to hear more about it, go back. It was like a February show. Like Clearly, boxing and UFC can work together incredibly successful with the strategy that I listed before. Like We've seen enough there. Okay. Obviously, the stuff that we saw in the fall of 2018, I've talked about that stuff in, in previous pods as well. You know, technically, it doesn't apply to this uh, podcast because I'm really only looking at 2019. But like when when you're looking at what has been successful, like that's clearly been successful. And there is a lot of room for improvement in other areas. But one of the reasons networks make these types of deals with promoters is because, and this is why they would want boxing in general, there is no league season. And so in rough scheduling parts of the year, you can just stick in a fight and hopefully it won't be a complete disaster. You know, like I think what we've seen in 2019, we've probably seen a little bit too much of this from ESPN. We've certainly seen a lot of it from, from Fox. And I mean, and, and I think just because Fox has less dates, they those shows stand out more to be. But look, to be fair, ESPN's done plenty of this uh, so far in 2019. Like we've probably seen too much of it. I don't mind some of it. It comes with the territory, and, and and this goes for ESPN and Fox. The fear is always that these the boxing deals. If the boxing doesn't deliver, it starts to lose the prime scheduling spots to other niche or secondary sports. Uh, and, and, you know, the, I mean, the fear is basically, it's what we saw recently, I think like last week, ESPN two put on the Ocho where they're literally just trying to create sports. And the fear is that one day Frisbee will draw an audience that gets 500,000 viewers or whatever. And instead of putting Terrence Crawford on after that Alabama game, they'll put on like the Frisbee finals or something like that. I'm obviously half joking when I say that, but like, that's, you want boxing to still maintain that pole position for getting those prime scheduling spots. Like I'll use when you're starting to analyze it from a number standpoint, I'll use Max Kellerman's numbers from his show. Uh, he was estimating top rank getting between 90 and hundred million dollars a year from ESPN. So if we're looking at this, like let's just say half that is going to ESPN and half of it is going to ESPN plus. Well, the half that's going to ESPN I mean, I think everybody involved needs to somewhere, but you know, they're, they're probably somewhere between very happy and maybe thrilled. If you look at the best results from this, like these, and and I've talked about this. I talked about this a little bit on from a Fox standpoint on Max's podcast um, too. But like, let's just say it's fifty million dollars a year. Uh, you're getting some like pretty strong numbers in certain places, some solid numbers, uh, in other places, some meh numbers in, you know, where, where it's not super encouraging, but even when you compare what they're getting from like, you know, baseball or UFC or other big contracts, even top ranks, bad numbers still beats like regularly beats weekday baseball in ESPN, not Sunday nights, but weekday baseball. And like when you pair it with something like UFC, like, here's the way to look at it if you're ESPN. You know, you probably look at it as, like, those kind of things are fantastic. Like, we can draw a great audience for UFC, and that's, like, a plant-your-flag audience. Like, that's, like, a, a very desirable demo of people show up to watch the UFC. And then boxing, remember, the ESPN contract for UFC for linear linear ESPN is $150 million bucks a year. Literally, for one-third of the overall price, you can stick a, a boxing show right after it and retain, you know, a really strong percentage of the audience. You can, you know, basically if you're on a Saturday night in the middle of winter or something like that, you could basically put a UFC show on that's going to be like a top five cable show for the day, have a boxing show, follow it, retain a really significant portion of that viewership, come through with another top 10 overall rating for one third of the price. Like you're thrilled with that basically if you're ESPN. It's the same thing that I talked about from the NBA, but you know, and, and where it gets that thing where you have this great rating from your Friday night NBA game, and then for a ridiculously low price, you stick a boxing event, you know, even if it's just one fight, you get a great rating for that. And then that gives SportsCenter, uh, you know, which SportsCenter basically costs nothing to make. That's, I shouldn't say nothing, but it's a studio show. It's a much different way of, of, of amortizing the cost. That's just like, that's an incredible moneymaker for them. So 
when you look at the ESPN Plus portion, though, that's where you got to start to wonder, like, let's just say that's $40 million or $45 million. I'm kind of splitting the difference. Let's just say it's $50 million. Screw it. Like, the goals are a little bit different here. You're trying to build subscriptions, which is different than programming, like, just it's different programming goals. But in 2018, boxing was probably a large factor in whatever subscription growth ESPN Plus had. Uh, but in 2019, I mean, it's basically all the growth is, I'm sure has come from UFC and other, you know, soccer and other stuff like that. I'm sure with, you know, you haven't seen, you haven't really seen any effective strategies to build the sub base through boxing, uh, you know, in 20, in 2019. I mean, even though it seems like they've tried, I can't see how those fights really lead to building subs. Like maybe they, maybe they are sub retention plays in a lot of ways but like we haven't seen that one big fight that comes through where everybody knows they have to subscribe to to espn plus for it um to core fans it's still i think an obvious thing to subscribe to for 50 bucks a year but you know when you get outside i don't know what that number is three to five hundred thousand core boxing fans in the united states like when you get outside of that number it's that's a different conversation. Like this is these are the problems. I mean, going back to the CBS uh, Showtime Sports Viacom thing, going back to the HBO AT and T Time Warner thing. Boxing can be great, and 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 even going to what DAZN is attempting to do. Boxing can be great at building that initial number quickly. Once you have to scale past the one or two million mark for subscribers, you you can't depend on boxing. Like we're out of. We're out of that world. You could do that. HBO could do that in the 1980s. Like we're no longer in that territory. And I think the key issue is like I'm not sure there's you know UFC clearly ESPN used to to build their subways pretty well, but I'm not sure what sports are in that range right now. I think I think even if you know even a big four sport like the NHL, I'm sure if, if that went exclusively to a streaming service. I'm, you know, I'd be very curious as to how many subs you can actually build just with that. But anyways, going back to going back to this, so you know, final look at what top ranking ESPN are doing for better or for worse. I mean, this is kind of what a, a deal that's generally successful for both sides of the equation. Like when I say both sides, I mean the promoter and the network. It's not a smashing success. No one's rewriting history, but it's definitely better than a modest success. And I think since ESPN ripped up that old contract and got the new one signed, like the TV world has changed a lot. I talk about this all the time. But numbers that would have been okay two years ago are now looking good. You know, I'm definitely going to do this fall a similar episode, on, you know, either with PBC or just focused on PBC with Fox. And and maybe have it more be it more of a comparison episode for the two. But you know, a quick preview for that. I mean, I, you know, I've talked about this a little bit on other shows too. You know, if PBC is given good fall dates and gets good numbers, like, you know, the, these shows are going to be pretty similar. It's going to be like, hey, this is kind of what it looks like when boxing works on a network. I'm not as confident Fox will do that or or do the same kind of experimenting um, with with their inventory, but. One of the things, like Fox probably looks at this a little bit differently, and one of the things with how they haven't even been that successful with it yet this year, but with pay-per-view, if you go back to the episode I did like two or three episodes ago, I mean, I basically just think Fox probably loves their boxing deal right now too. I mean, I think if you look at what they're doing, what I think the new percentage is for Fox pay-per-view, even this year with modest pay-per-view numbers – They've probably taken somewhere between nine and eleven million dollars from pay-per-view distribution fees for the for two pay-per-views. Neither doing significantly more than five hundred thousand. Even both may not have even got there. And if they get to the point where they get, they can distribute pay-per-views that count for two million total pay-per-view buys, which isn't ridiculous at all. I mean, in in when I was at HBO, we regularly you know regularly had had years where we did over three million. Uh, when, when Mayweather and Pacquiao were both fighting pretty regularly, and and even I mean, like, all you basically need is one superstar fighting, get, doing a million buys, fighting twice a year for that. Uh, you you can literally come close to paying for easily half to as much as seventy five percent 
of of what Fox is paying for their deal with PVC just on pay-per-view distribution fees, which is kind of unprecedented in sports broadcasting, period. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure they're having as much success selling ads in their product, you know, in, in a meaningful way as, as ESPN. Um, I think ESPN is actually probably having a good success selling ads against top-ranked boxing. Maybe not great, but probably good. And then you got to factor in ESPN collects huge fees, like billions of dollars a year from cable systems, et cetera, that carry the network. And yes, Fox does get some retransmission fees, not nearly in the ballpark of ESPNs. And that's why when you compare just total audience viewership and not the demos, um, it, you know, and not factor in this other revenue stream for ESPN, it, you know, it, none of, it's not totally comparable. Um, for ESPN Plus, definitely a mixed bag in 2019. I think there is room in the marketplace to do a lot better. I think they've done some interesting things still. I'd like to see them do a lot more of the stuff I like and a lot less of the stuff I don't like. Uh, let's just start with the obvious, like make Tyson Fury fight better opponents. Uh, okay, let's make more of that cool, creative shoulder programming. All right, like less of these cards that are filler, like what we just saw on August 10th, you know, more of the elevated fights. All right, I mean... That's kind of it, but like, you know, hate to disappoint people here. Like, okay, like this is, when you look at this overall deal, like it's just kind of like, all right, this is what, when you see a network TV deal that works, this is kind of it. So there you go. Um, onto the preview section here. And I'll jam through this quickly. Saturday, August 17th on ESPN from LA, we have Emmanuel Navarrete fighting Francisco DeVaca for Navarrete's WBO junior featherweight title. Also on the card, Jesse Magdaleno fights Rafael Rivera at featherweight. Navarrete is like 30, 40, 50 to 1 favorite, depending on where you look in this fight. Magdaleno is like a 7 or 8 to 1 favorite. But the price on Rivera has actually changed rapidly. I expect it to narrow. I expect these odds to narrow. I definitely think Rivera has a pathway to victory over Magdaleno. It's a really strong undercard fight. Uh, should be noted, it's up against one of the most significant UFC pay-per-view cards that night. Uh, there's like two or three really strong fights on that pay-per-view card. The prelims, and I don't know how this is going to affect the prelims. It'll be interesting, actually, because this isn't the greatest. It's certainly a lower-level main event that Top Rank is doing on ESPN, uh, pretty strong undercard, but not like the greatest overall offering. But this could be an incredible UFC prelim rating just based on the overall strength of the UFC card. And I think this is one of those cards where you see the top rank show directly follow the UFC pay-per-views. So this could actually be a much better rating than we typically see from this level of fight. Um, moving on to the following weekend, there's a showbox card on Friday, August 23rd. Probably not worth covering too much. DeAndre Ware is in a real fight, though. Uh, moving on, there's three fights on August 24th from, I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in Russia, on ESPN+. Plus. Sergey Kovalev fighting Anthony Yardy for Kovalev's WBO light heavyweight title. Semi-interesting cruiserweight fight with Ilunga Makubu fighting Alexei Papin. This is easily the best fight card of the next two weeks. Kovalev is right around a two to one favorite. Like Yard at a lot of books is as low as plus one fifty. I favor Kovalev, but the news surrounding him right now makes this a huge question mark. Like there's been a couple bad reports of, of really bad public behavior from him. There's rumors behind the scenes he might, you know, be drinking too much again. This might play a role in some of the public bad behavior that we've seen. It's a homecoming fight for him. Maybe if he wins, he gets Canelo, depending on how all this is shaking out at the zone. Maybe it's his big, biggest payday ever if he wins, but you know, maybe not. He might not. He might know before he goes into the ring that he's not going to fight Canelo. There's just so many mental question marks. I don't, I don't like to cover mental question marks for fighters. It's not kind of. It's really not the goal of this podcast, but. Just in the build-up to that fight, there's, like I said, the the you know the future of main events is a promotional company. I don't think they're going to go away just because of this. They've survived uh, other lulls, but this is certainly their last fighter who's really at a top level and and, and you know is able to offer them huge uh, co-promotional license fees. It's just an incredible set, you know, sort of series of storylines 
and I'm guessing um, we'll be talking about it at length in some way, shape, or form in the future. Uh, the two other cards are a lot less interesting. There's not even odds out on either of them. Uh, from Hermosillo, Mexico, and on to zone one, Francisco Estrada fighting Dwayne Beeman for Estrada's WBC Junior Bantamweight title. Philip Ergovich versus Mario Heredia at heavyweight is the co-main. I love Estrada. I'm interested in Ergovich. There's no odds on these fight for a reason. I do not expect them to be competitive. Uh, from Edinburgh, Texas, on FS1, Brandon Figueroa fights Javier Nicholas Chacon uh, for Figueroa's WBA interim junior featherweight title. Stephen Fulton Jr. versus Isaac Avalar and Darwin Price versus Donovan Estrella. Also on the card, same deal, no odds. I like Brandon Figueroa. Nothing else is that interesting for me in this card. All right. There is at least one good fight coming up, maybe a couple in the next two weeks, which for this time in August, previously you would never be able to say, and then we heat up again in a major way. We will not be seeing a huge Mexican Independence Day fight. In fact, I think I noted this on Twitter, the possibly the best fight on Mexican Independence Day weekend could be a UFC fight from Canada versus two guys who definitely are not Mexican in terms of descent. They are two white guys fighting. So, I can't even remember the last time something like this happened. Uh, we will. I don't know if we'll talk about it in the next episode or not. I feel like so a couple. I think there'll be a couple fun episodes coming up. But I also have to just. I might actually do next episode a Q and A. I'll. In fact, I'll tell you what. Send me questions. Just if, if you don't. Twitter is usually the best way to do that. If you don't do Twitter, just email me fistinatus at yahoo.com. If it's not next episode, it's going to be the one after. One of the next two or three episodes for me uh, will be a Q&A, and I think it really just depends on what is happening and how much sleep I'm getting with the young child and, and everything else i got to do. Um, but though, you know, the Q&As are a little bit easier in terms of I don't need to do as much preparation for those. So that might, maybe that's next episode. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe I'll have time to be able to write something else. Send me questions anyways. I'm going to do one of those soon. Uh, other than that, enjoy the fights. Talk to you in two weeks. Did you get what you was looking for?